0: Indigo Studio, a Chicago-centric show. The place where it starts, covering today's topics, new authors, pop culture. Trending topics and, of course, politics. Our topics are engaging, controversial, and authentic. This is where real talk takes place. We are going to bring it out with a fresh perspective, a hit view, as we just talk about. It. Indigo Studio presents real conversation about topics of the day. Hermine Hartman and Shannon Peoples are the co-hosts, and we welcome you to Indigo Studio, making talk in vogue again. New show, new look, new people with Viewpoint bringing it to you. Let's make talk real again.
1: Welcome to Indigo Studios, I'm Shannon Peoples. I'm Hermine Hartman. Today we're speaking with the authors of the best-selling book, For Colored Girls Who've Considered Politics, written by four dynamic black women who've worked for over 30 years in American politics and stand on some of the most memorable presidential campaigns. So, Black Lives Matter, Black Votes Count,
2: and Black Women Rock. For Colored Girls Who've Considered Politics is about women who got into politics, became girlfriends, who change, manage, and shape today's Democratic Party. These ladies are amongst the most influential African-American women in the United States. They've made their very own history. And they all have a common base. They started their political work in the presidential campaign of the Reverend Jesse Jackson in 1984 and went to the heights of the party and to the White House. They were tutored, nurtured, and mentored by great women the likes of Cecily Tyson, Coretta Scott King, Maya Angelou, Betty Shabazz, Shirley Chisholm, and Dorothy Height, and our very own Reverend Willie Barrow. They've been on the forefront of history. They've made history. They've watched history. This is a fascinating story about behind-the-scenes national politics. Donna Brazil, let me start with you. Your very first job, fresh out of college, was with Coretta Scott King. That's right. Tell us what you did with Mrs. King.
3: Well, I was one of those uh, young people that really wanted to take my seat at the table. And um, Mrs. King, I met her through Ralph Abernathy. Uh, Dr. Abernathy visited our campus. And um, Mrs. King talked about the holiday efforts. And I went up to her and said, I'm graduating from college in a few months. Uh, I have a job in in Cincinnati, but I would love to come to Washington, DC and work on the King holiday effort. That was the beginning. She gave me not only an opportunity to serve, but along with Stevie Wonder, Teresa Cropper, who also hired me on the King Mm -hmm. uh, holiday effort. I work on the 20th anniversary of uh, King's historic 63 March. It was a great beginning, but that's also how I got to meet this young lady, Yolanda Caraway, because I lobbied to get uh, the holiday throughout the the Congress.
1: Okay, thank you very much for doing so. Mm -hmm. Now, most people, see their lives in increments of years. You said you see your lives in increments of waves of campaigns. How have you seen campaigns evolve over the years, and what do you see them evolving to?
4: Mm.
5: Well, when I first started working in national politics, it was in the early 80s. And I worked for Congresswoman, she was then Congresswoman Barbara Mikulski, and that's where I met Donna. I was a, I had a little low level job, and, and I was the only black person in the office. And I was sitting at my desk working one day, and somebody uh, came in and said, "Would you mind meeting with a young woman? She's like wants to talk about um, something, and she didn't quite tell me what it was." And I couldn't figure out why they were asking me to go meet with this woman. I was like. The lowest one on the totem pole. That was with
2: Don. was Donna? That was with Donna. <laughs> and
5: I didn't even have a desk. I mean, I had a little cubicle. So I had to meet with her in the hallway. <laughs> and as soon as I saw her, I said, OK, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Sent the black girl to meet with the black girl. <laughs> but which, which was great, because we met each other. And it was like probably the first time we had seen anybody look like us <laughs> on the Hill. And we've been friends ever since.
2: So, Young, your mm-hmm. political career started right here in Chicago as a CVS girl there, Donna. Yes, it is. And uh, <laughs> she worked with uh, Reverend Willie Barrow. What did you do for Reverend Barrow?
4: I started out uh, helping her with her speeches, and mm-hmm. I served as her executive assistant I did a lot of traveling with her and that's where I got to meet uh, Coretta Scott and I met Dr. Angelo and Betty Shabazz because Reverend Barrow used to attend this leadership retreat Mm -hmm. and one of the advantages of working for her is she was always very open and so she would take me with her. And we became, you know, very, very close. And when you go to these retreats, it's like you're just going to like a family reunion. Mm -hmm. So I used that as an opportunity to better myself, to watch these women, to get to know them. And Reverend Barrel was the the impetus behind all of it.
2: So I I wanted to establish how you all started. And Yolanda, you started in the Robert Kennedy campaign.
5: So I was 14 years old, I grew up in Rochester, New York, Mm -hmm. and uh, a friend of mine came to me one day and asked me, so why don't you come down with me and volunteer to work on Bobby Kennedy's campaign? And this was like 1964, the year after President Kennedy was assassinated, so you know we all love President Kennedy. I didn't know that much about his brother, but I figured he had to be okay. (laughs) And I was always looking for a way to get out of doing something. (laughs) going home, and so I would take the bus every day from the east side to the west side, and I licked envelopes, I made phone calls, and I got to the point where I was good enough that I could go out and knock on doors and talk to people and actually sounded like I knew what I was talking about, (laughs) my little 14-year-old self. And I just got bitten by the bug, and when he won, it was like, you know, I won. Mm -hmm. And you did. I I did. And I have a a, a letter from him, and I'm sure it was signed by an auto pen, but I still
0: have that letter Mm framed, and it hangs in my office. Larry! What are you doing? Saving energy. Well, you're not doing anything. I'm also saving money right now. How? Ed. They recycled my old working fridge for free. Plus, they have rebates on energy-efficient products. So, you're saving now? And I'll save later on my energy bill. Customers have saved
1: about $500 on their energy bills with the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program. What are you guys doing?
0: Saving energy.
2: Now, you had a very interesting job. Uh, You were Director of Education and Training at DNC, Uh and you had a most interesting student. Mm -hmm. named Rahm Emanuel and from Chicago (laughs) and he went on to become a congressman Mm -hmm. and chief of staff Mm -hmm. and in the White House President uh, Obama Mm -hmm. and with Clinton Mm -hmm. speak to that experience of a young Rahm.
5: Well I, uh, (laughs) oh yeah
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I. Right. I ran this. This. I want to about the young man. Yeah. I worked for. I, I did the DNC's education and training program, and we took. We did like four institutes a year. and We took them to different cities. So we were going to Chicago. This I think it was probably like 1982, and um, I started getting this call from this young man. Tom Emanuel. And he wanted to. We, we charged $125 to come to this three-day conference. They got food. They got uh, all kinds of information on how to, how to how to manage a campaign, how to run for office, communications, fundraising, all that stuff. So he said, "I want to bring some. I'm at North. I think he's at Northwestern. He, he said, I want to bring some students, but we can't afford to pay the $125. Can we get a discount?'" And I said, "What kind of discount?" He mm-hmm. said, Well, like if we could do $25, but he said, I could bring a lot of students. So I said, okay, well let me get back to you. So I thought about it for a minute. I said, you yeah, know, this is kind of what we're doing. We're trying to bring in young people, mm-hmm. open up the tent. So yeah, I said sure, okay. We'll give you a student discount of 25 people. And he he did. He showed up. And the student probably half of the people that attended the t- attended the forum and um He was was a man of his word then. I worked with him again during Clinton's first inaugural when he was the uh, executive director and I was Ron Brown's deputy. Ron was the chair and I was his deputy. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's my
2: Did you see his promise? Did you see political promise?
5: I I always knew he would run for
2: something. Mm -hmm. You ladies had a wonderful opportunity and experience and that was to work with Ron Brown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Maximize your time, he said, and focus on your goals, and know who runs what, see them, and make your point, and don't linger, and -hmm. never look back. Uh, Ron was the first black man to become chair of the Democratic Party, and in the book you talk about um, how he encountered racism uh, Mm -hmm. as the chair. And how he overcame racism mm-hmm. as the chair. Talk about that for me. The uh, the fundraiser that you were all a little nervous about oh, the at the uh, the first one, <laughs> and uh, it, it it indeed became a record breaker. Tell mm-hmm. me a little Absolutely. bit about that.
5: Well, you know when Ron ran, everybody was first of all he was too close to Jesse. So that was mm-hmm. the first problem. Mm-hmm. The second problem, he won't be able to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know all the things that they said. We we just shut down.
2: Which is what that job is really all about. Yeah, to raise That's a fun yeah. Raise
5: yeah. job. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun yep. job. So when Ron became chairman, the DNC had a big event every year in Washington, their biggest gala, and this was like where they usually raised the most money, and um, everybody's mm-hmm. you know they were saying hey, we're going to be able to raise money. So we did the event. Uh, It was at the National Building Museum. It was a beautiful, beautiful setting, and Dionne Warwick was the entertainment. So I remember I was standing off to the side of the stage. Dionne was singing. I was standing on the side of the stage with Ron and his uh, finance director, um, who was a young white woman. and. Dion got to the point, you know when she said, when they sang that song, when she put her hands up and singing at the end, you know that's, yeah, that's <laughs> the end, of the song. That's what friends that's the friend of friend of friends of That's with
2: friends were before. That's Diana. That was Diana Ross. Oh. So
3: anyway, a divas, okay? I know they're both divas.
5: Same generation divas. So, um... I looked at Ron, I said, Ron, go up on stage right now and grab her hand. And he said, I need you to think. I said, this is how she's in, this is the end. This is how she's ending the show. Go up on stage with her and grab her hand. And he he said, "Mm." then he looked at the young other woman and said, what do you think? And he said, well, I really don't know. I said, just go up there. (laughs) So he did. He did, and it was perfect timing. I mean, he went up there and he grabbed her hand, and she said, "That's what friends are for." Everybody in the audience got mm-hmm. up and stood up, and they were waving their hands, and it was the most beautiful moment. We raised more money on that fundraiser than anybody ever did,
2: mm-hmm. uh, ever in history. Because you captured that moment, we, yeah.
5: Well, well yeah, if, but, if, you, if, but you, but
2: you knew it. You we, could I see it. I knew
5: what I was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so,
2: if they would just listen, well, right?
5: Well, when he came, so when he came back down, he hugged me and he said, "Thank you," and I said, "Look." I said, I am never going to, and I've known Ron was like my brother, and I talked to him like he was my brother. So he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I said, look, I am never going to tell you the wrong thing to do, Mm -hmm. and when I tell you something to do, don't check with the white girl. Just do it. Just do it. Mm
0: -hmm. Look at what's all new at McDonald's. Try the new sweet and savory chicken McGriddles made with the crispy chicken filet and the sweet taste of maple. Or get the McChicken Biscuit with crispy tender chicken and a warm flaky biscuit. Now get either for just $1.69 each or mix and match two for $3. Try a whole new morning routine and double up the goodness. Wake up breakfast with McDonald's. Larry, what are you doing? Saving energy. Well, you're not doing anything. I'm also saving money right now. How? ComEd. They recycled my old working fridge for free. Plus, they have rebates on energy efficient products. So you're saving now? And I'll save later on my energy bills.
1: Customers have saved about $500 on their energy bills with the ComEd energy efficiency program. What are you guys doing?
0: Saving energy.
1: Here's the
2: big question. Here's
1: the question of, of,
2: the, of the evening.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: How did you all become the colored girls? Oh. Oh. Where did that come from? That sounds like a Minyan Moore thing to me.
4: Well, actually, it was a Minyan and Donna thing. Me and Donna were actually working with the Caucus Benson campaign, and we got word that they wanted us to go down to a different floor, And so what it meant was the African-Americans, Latinos, and others would be on a different floor from the people that are actually making the decisions. And Donna and I are smart enough to know if you're not close to the checkbook, if you're not close to the people that make the decisions, then you are not in the loop. So we decided that "Mm, we probably weren't going to do that. So when they all went out to, you know, they have cocktails at 5 o'clock. When they went out for cocktails, me and Donna decided to go back up to that floor. Right. We confiscated a room, we brought in a conference table, and <clears> then we wrote on a piece of paper, colored girls, we shall not be moved. And that's how it got. I love it. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I love
2: it.
1: When you look at other groups, when it comes time, when, you know, when they're voting, mm-hmm. or they, uh, they go to their politicians, they use their wealth right. as mm-hmm. a wedge, mm-hmm. or they use their wealth as, um, to control mm-hmm. who's in the yeah. room. Yeah, I didn't that's want to say right. it like that. Right. I, was, I, was right. to right. I was trying to find a better yeah. way to say it, but how can yeah. we do that? That's, I mean, we mm-hmm. really need well, to Well, we are that. just now
4: starting to become, I think, incredible fundraisers mm-hmm. to the party. That's yeah. number one. So yes. we, we raise as much money as some of our white counterparts and some of our Latino mm-hmm. counterparts, and that, that was not the case right, maybe right. five or ten mm-hmm. years ago. So we are actually using that. But I think one of the things that we have learned to do is reinvest in each other. Because part of what happens when you get into the political process, you can't get in there and close the door. You gotta get in there and swing the door wide open so somebody else can get in there and now we're seeing a cycle of people that says okay you look in New York they got this black economic group it's all about black money it's all about making sure although they are investing in white and Latino candidates it is black driven money and they understand the power of money Mm -hmm. we all understand the power (laughs) of money so I'm happy to see that money is starting to drive our politics but there's nothing more important than driving that vote Because that's where we have surged, that's where we and that's why African American women are taking their place now. Because we Mm -hmm. vote. And we vote in record breaking numbers. So
3: we're gonna top what was spent in the last midterm. That's right. And we might even come close to what's spent in a presidential. Remember there are thirty three gubernatorial races, thirty five senatorial races. Those are statewide races. Mm -hmm. And if you look at let's just take four states with the largest Hispanic population, Texas Florida, uh, Nevada, and Arizona. In, in order to win races in those states, you have to get a significant amount of Latino Vote. votes. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet, our capital is in our in our the numbers. Right. We can mm-hmm. we can make or break an election. We should not only demand candidate time, but also demand that both political parties, not one, right. both political parties, invest in our communities, spend some of the campaign resources. As I used to tell people, black people can make buttons. Right. Black people can make closest. Black people Mm. can produce television spots. That's right. Black people can make t-shirts. It is up to the candidate to set Mm -hmm. a tone. And like we were talking early today about investing in black media. Indigo legacy black lux is an incredible hip history about Chicagoans. It
2: is exactly like nothing else. Indigo Legacy is a new history book with eight pounds of awesome stories that inspire. This book has been 28 years in the making. Read about what black achievement looks like in a modern day with 496 pages and 300 full-color
1: exclusive photos. Order your copy today at indigolegacy.com. It's
0: the hardest thing with mental health is it becomes a spiral. And sometimes all you literally need is a little catalyst to like, Help you to stop. Learn more about how to start the conversation at SeizeTheAwkward.org.
2: Let's talk about Hillary Clinton. You all are all Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton uh, advocates, Mm -hmm. workers, girls, Mm -hmm. ladies. Why did black women vote for her? and white women didn't.
4: I still find that very just troubling and very interesting. It's just an interesting dichotomy. I mean, you know, and we talk to our white sisters all the time, Mm -hmm. and we are always telling them, listen, don't come talking to us. We know who we're voting for. You go talk to that sister who's sitting out in rural America Mm -hmm. or who's sitting at home with her oppressed husband Mm -hmm. and give her a voice. And so, you know, I think that they probably have an activist spirit by day, but when Becky goes home at night, Mm -hmm. I don't know who she is. And maybe she is more aligned with Trump than we think. And so I'm hoping that this year, these last two years, they have seen what it means to have a Trump presidency, because it has certainly not been good for women. He has disrespected mm-hmm. women all across the world, not just here in America, and he has certainly not done anything to uplift women. Yeah. So hopefully they'll change their minds. I think it's following my husband. I think our crowd, Donna, understands that, you know, we work with some very progressive white women and they clearly understand what's at stake, but there is a group of women Mm -hmm. that
1: really do not think like we do. How did you reconcile working on Hillary's campaign and defending her against cries of racism against a black man who would potentially be the first African-American president?
3: Against Obama. I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had no problems when people would come to me and mm-hmm. say, Well, what about Hillary? Let me just put put it on the record. I met Hillary Clinton when she was an advocate for children and she uh, was fighting for a poor black and white kids mm-hmm. down in Mississippi mm-hmm. for the Children's Defense Fund. I saw in Hillary Clinton a champion for freedom and justice and equality for all. Mm-hmm. So when Barack Obama came on the scene, remember, it was Hillary Clinton who called us. us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To and say asked, you all need to know, she, called you. She called, you me. Call, yeah, she called you. she
1: called me. Repeat that. Yeah, she called me.
3: She, Mignon. Called, she Mignon. called Mignon. She called This is Mignon, and then Mignon called me. I
4: said, Donna, come on down.
3: Hillary wants us to meet with and, and Barack he was, Obama. <laughs> he was on the third floor where I was. Mignon was on the fifth floor. we always deal with this fourth thing. <laughs> uh, but I had a business, and thank you, Mignon. I, I I had my business in her uh, in her headquarters he came, as a result of Hillary, Beyond mm-hmm. and I got to working to not only help him raise money for his Senate campaign, mm-hmm. but also t- we went to our friends, Alexis Herman and Bill Lynch, who served with John Kerry and said, we want to mm-hmm. push him to be the keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As campaign manager for the album, I pushed Harold for because Barbara Jordan inspired me when I was sixteen. Yep. So we didn't have a what what I call a moral or political conflict. Yeah. When they, I found it to be the most exciting year of my life. I got so many opportunities as a result of being a black and a woman. Mm-hmm. And people used to say, Well, Donna, you're black, it must be for Obama. I said well, I'm a woman. I could be for Hillary. And then they started saying, well, no, but you're black. No, you're a woman. I said, you know what? I'm getting old and gray. I might be for John McCain. <laughs> but
2: you, were pushing, you pushed for Obama to speak at the convention, oh, at the National yes, Convention. We, which
4: we rose, pushed. Yeah. It was a number of us. And it was actually a very interesting story because they were looking. John John Kerry was actually looking for I think an African-American to do it. I think they wanted to go to the Congressional Black Caucus and you know there are many speakers in the caucus and so they came to us and we said well why not give it to Senator Obama I mean he's going to be the next senator, he was state senator at the time Mm -hmm. why can't he do it? Why
2: why did you all as you are at the heights of the political mm-hmm. party not work for Barack Obama. I'm, I don't not, think and I, I'm not talking about Senator yeah. Obama, I'm talking about President yeah. Obama.
4: I don't, for me, I don't yeah. think it was, I don't think I was making a choice against President Obama because I had worked for his Yes We Can PAC. I made a choice based on where I was in my life, based on what I wanted to do with my own politics, based on knowing that either one of them would be good for America and that we did not have to all be in the same camp. We actually, when we had the dinner with President Obama and Hillary, a group of us said, okay, some of them going this way and some of them going that way. And I just happened to, at that point in my life, I really wanted to see a woman as president. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel like I was working against him. I thought I was, you know, I really tried very hard through that campaign to be respectful to him Mm -hmm. because I, knew either one of them were going to get hurt. Sexism is no better than racism. And so I tried to play my,
3: play my role straight but down you the divided, middle.
2: But to divide it, was a sm- that was the smart politics. President
3: Obama yeah. uh, came to me twice. The first time he said, Donna, what do you want? I'm like, oh, hell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, I said, you know what? Uh, I want to be out here on national TV. I want to be able to travel mm-hmm. the country to defend you, to talk about what you're doing, because I believe, I Mignon mean, and I believe in the inside outside. That's right. right. And That's I right. want to be on the outside. Now, in 2012, after he won re-election, I had my stuff together.
2: You want to be inside?
3: Yeah, you know what I told him? I am a college professor. My students always come to me. I want to be on a Fulbright. I want to be a Fulbright scholar. I want to be a Fulbright. I want to be on a Fulbright board. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to open it up mm-hmm. to minorities and women mm-hmm. and I want and I represented Western Europe, the um, and South America and some parts of Latin America.
1: Um a lot of young black people, a lot of black people period, said that when Obama was elected to presidency, um we as black people didn't really get anything out of the deal. Uh, mm. They said everybody got something: mm. gay people got something, women got something, uh, the Latino community got something, you know, Arab community got something. They said we got nothing out of it, mm. and they said that same sentiment kind of carried over into the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. Mm. Do you feel the same? Do you think that that was a co-factor in her possibly losing the election? You I don't know. know what you mean by, Yeah, I don't know what you mean. But is be- the
2: real question, what did black folks get from President Obama? Is that the real question? That's the question. Yeah. A
1: lot of black people feel as if we didn't get anything. We voted him in the office, but we didn't well, get I anything. Well, I think part of the
2: problem with that is we never held him accountable. Mm-hmm.
5: We were always, we always, mm-hmm. it was always a hands-off thing. If yeah. you, you ever said anything, it was wrong. Give him the so got got yeah, another year.
3: We got a lot. We got Obamacare. I'm never going to... That was enormous because for 70 years we have fought uh, for health care to give people access to health care. We got a lot in terms of education Mm -hmm. and and also economic development. Look we came out of a great recession as a result of Mm -hmm. his uh, uh, stewardship of our economy. I think people look at the White House and they look at all these big symbols
4: but there were things that President Obama did that you will probably never know unless you were for government. You asked Eric. Eric Holder, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of the draconian policies over at the Justice Department, he quietly wiped them out. Thanks. And, Thanks. Yeah, Thank you, and see, people have to understand, mandates and regulations, mm-hmm. and when you see Trump on the, on the TV just signing these things, Obama did a lot of that
1: too. This book was a fascinating read, not only was it informative, it was highly educational, it gave us insight. Into a, into the whole Washington D.C. machine that I didn't even know existed.
2: For color girls who've considered
1: politics. politics.
3: <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. Thank, <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: Indigo Studio, a Chicago-centric show, the place where it starts, covering today's topics and, of course, politics. Our topics are engaging, controversial, and authentic. This is where real talk takes place. We are going to bring it out with a fresh perspective. Let's make talk real again. Indigo Studio.